Well, good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship Church. And as you can see from that intro, we are in the midst of a series entitled Joy. It's based on Paul's letter to the people of Philippi, the letter to the Philippians in the New Testament. And the reason we entitle this series Joy is because in this letter, and that's what it was, it was a personal letter from the Apostle Paul to a group of Christians who lived in the city of Philippi, a city in northern Greece, and it outlined to them a number of concerns that Paul had for their church, and how much. He, and it also told them how much he appreciated them, and over and over again, he used the word 16 times, joy. Now, Paul was in prison, facing an uncertain future. He might die, might stay in prison, nobody knew, and yet he wrote with joy. Last week, we started out talking about that joy, therefore, is something that doesn't have to be dependent on our circumstances if we draw our joy from the Lord. And today, I want to talk about another aspect of this. That was We talked about chapter 1 in Philippians last week. This week, we're moving on to chapter 2, and inside your bulletin, you'll find an insert with today's message in outline form in front of you, and it's entitled, Joy in Serving Others. Now, this is a timely topic because in our culture, as in Paul's day, we can easily lose track of joy. In fact, you can make the case for our culture today that as a people, we are more materially blessed than most people in the world. We are more materially blessed than probably any generation of Americans who've ever lived. We have lots of entertainment choices with the internet now, an almost unlimited supply of uh, music or television shows or all kinds of entertainment we can download. Uh, we apparently eat very well because they're all telling us we need to lose weight, I mean, all the time. So we've got a lot to eat, a lot to eat, a lot to do, a lot to look at. We're pretty well off. And yet we gripe and complain like crazy. Has anybody else noticed this besides me? We're a grumbling, complaining bunch. And so Paul's letter seems to be very timely for us. And today, if you will take out that outline that's in your bulletin, I'd like to remind us that joy, as Paul defines it here in the second chapter of Philippians, would mean great delight or happiness that comes from serving others and giving of oneself. Now, this is contrasted with the joy that we experience in our culture of having people wait on us hand and foot. And that's why we get so mad in our culture, even though we have all these blessings. Well, the drive through line was too long, and I had to go inside. Oh, my goodness. Ruined my joy. This spicy chicken is too spicy. And we have all sorts of things that we can complain about, and it will ruin my whole day. And Paul would tell us, hey, uh, take a step back. Shouldn't be getting joy out of just consuming things. You and I need to find our joy in serving others. That's what I want to talk with you about today. Let me have a word of prayer and ask God to bless our time together. Lord, uh, this is a timely word for our culture. We are blessed with so much, yet we say thank you so little. We have so many things before us, and yet we're always complaining about the things we don't have. <coughs> and Lord, we are way too selfish and way too self-centered. So this morning, I pray that you'll speak and move me out of the way and teach us something about experiencing joy in serving others. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. If you need a pen uh, to fill in the blanks or take some notes as we go along on your outline, please just raise your hand and one of the ushers will be glad to pass one down to you. Point one. This is from Philippians 2. Paul experienced great joy when the believers in Philippi served others. Paul had met Jesus in a miraculous way. He had 
originally started out persecuting Christians. He was on his way from the city of Jerusalem to Damascus to go and arrest some Christians there. And Jesus appeared to him in a vision, a blinding vision. Explained to Paul that he was going the wrong way. And Paul was now going to become a missionary for Jesus instead of an opponent to him. And Paul realized that he'd gotten it all wrong. Instead of standing against Jesus, he needed to celebrate Jesus and worship him as Lord and Savior because Jesus was the servant of all mankind. And so when he died on the cross, and so Paul explained to the people in Philippi that, hey, the greatest thing that (coughs) they could ever do is to embrace the notion that Paul had, to embrace a core belief of his, that we're to serve others just as Jesus served us. Here's how he said it. This is Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if there's any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. In that sentence, if you would underline and make my joy complete. This is Paul writing to some people. He started the church about 10 years before. They were his spiritual children. If you guys really want to make me happy and bring me great delight, then, then understand this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And Paul said, if you embrace this, it'll make my joy complete. As a parent, there's nothing that makes my joy more complete than when I hear somebody complimenting one of my sons. They go out to dinner with somebody, and then I'll get a phone call or a note or an email, and they'll say, boy, you have a fine boy there. We had dinner with him, and just, he's so respectful and so well-mannered. And my wife and I look at each other and go, whew, oh, that's good. Because we remember the days when they were small. It's like, don't pick up your food with your hands, okay? And put your uh, napkin on your lap and sit up straight. And all those things you try to teach your kids and hope that it sticks. And it makes your joy complete when you hear it actually did. And Paul had wanted to drill into every person's mind and into their lives with the people in Philippi, hey, you got to get this idea across that joy comes from serving. Jesus served you and you need to serve others. And so as he's writing this letter, he goes, hey, if you guys want to make me truly happy and make my joy complete, then don't do things out of selfish ambition. Don't think of yourselves more important than other people. Put others' needs ahead of your own. And there's a life application here. It's not just for, that isn't just a message for the people of Philippi. We must serve others too. Peter said the same thing in one of his letters. And all of you, all of you, serve each other in humility. For God opposes the proud but favors the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he'll lift you up in honor. You don't have to worry about seeking fame for yourself. If you serve others, leave that to God. He'll take care of it because you're honoring him. It's the way Jesus lived, and you should too. How do I know that? Well, that brings us to point two. Paul said so in this letter. He said, Jesus is our role model for serving others. You want a role model for serving people? Jesus set the standard. Jesus didn't just teach a good game in the Sermon on the Mount. He lived it. He lived it better than anybody else. Christ voluntarily surrendered his rights and position in order to save us. He voluntarily did this. Paul said it this way, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. 
Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to glory of God the Father. Jesus didn't cling to his rights. In fact, the whole message of the New Testament is that when God saw the wretched state of humanity, that we were sinful and depraved, constantly seeking our own way, and as a result, suffering the penalty of death and deserving separation from God in hell forever, God did something about it. For God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, to pay the penalty of sin, to overcome death, so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus was a role model. And when you think about him giving up his rights and position, it's staggering. I heard Billy Graham explain exactly, uh, I mean, a parallel to what that was like through the use of a story once. He said when people asked him about this passage and what it was like for Jesus not to cling to his divine privileges, he said it would be like a little boy who had an ant farm, you know, a colony of ants in a glass case with a thin case so that as the ants burrowed down and uh, made their home inside the case, you could see it from both sides. And if you put food at the top, you watch the ants bring the food down to the rest of the colony. There was a little boy who had one of those, and he loved watching his ants every day. He became sort of a, an expert on ants, read about them, studied them, knew a lot of great details. And one day, this little boy went for a walk with his dad, the subdivision where they lived. They were building some new houses on, uh, on the back part of it, and so there was a construction entrance for all the trucks and heavy machinery to travel on. And the dad wanted to go see some of the new housing that was being put in, and so they walked along the construction road. And several times as they were walking along, they had to step aside to let a truck go by or a cement mixer. And one of the times when they stepped off the road, the little boy noticed there was an anthill right on the edge of this dirt road, and it was very clear to him that one of these times, one of those trucks was going to come along and just flatten the anthill and kill all the ants. And so the little boy wanted to do something about it. And so when the ants were running onto this dirt road, he would reach down and pick them up and put them back on the anthill. And of course, they'd run right back. Some of the ants even bit him because they didn't understand what he was trying to do. And some of the ants, when he picked them up, he crushed them because he was so much bigger than they were. His dad watched it for a while and said, son, we've got to get home. Those ants don't understand what you're trying to do for them. Leave them alone. So they went home. And the little boy was pretty silent at supper that night. <clears throat> His dad put him to bed and did some reading and, and watched the news and was about to go to bed himself. And all of a sudden he realized his son was standing right beside him. He said, son, what are you doing up? I thought you went to bed a long time ago. And he goes, I did, dad, but I just can't sleep. I've got a question for you. And he goes, what is it? And he said, Dad, is there any way I can become an ant? He said, what? Dad, is there any way I can become an ant? Because I figure if there's a way for me to become an ant, then if I became an ant, you could carry me over to that ant hill and place me on that ant hill, and then I could speak to the ants in their own language, and I could warn them about the dangers that are coming down the road, and I could help them relocate to a place where they'd never be in danger again. And they'd understand me, Dad, because I'd be one of them, and I could speak their language and I could explain to them in terms they'd understand. And he said, well, son, there isn't any way for you to become an ant. But there is a way for the creator God to explain to us 
a way to escape the dangers of hell, to find forgiveness for our sins, to find a new place to relocate to in heaven where there will never be sickness or sorrow or death ever again. And that was made possible when God became flesh and dwelt among us when Jesus Christ was born into this world. And if we will listen to him and understand him and his direction for us, then we don't need to fear when death comes barreling right at us. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? Amen. And if you think it's a stretch when you say, well, a little boy becoming an ant, I mean, is that a parallel to God becoming one of us? Well, not even close. And Jesus took off all of his divine privileges and rights and limited himself to a human body. And demonstrated exactly what his love looked like by serving every single one of us. In fact, going past what anybody would even think of by becoming a person who would die on a cross like a criminal, even though he'd never sinned. And that's why Jesus made it clear to all of his disciples, and Paul understood it clearly and wanted to make it clear to the Philippians, hey, if you want to be somebody in God's kingdom, then you need to have the same attitude that Jesus had. Because of the joy awaiting him, this is Hebrews 12 too, Jesus endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor besides God's throne, beside God's throne. Because of the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. The cross was not fun, it was agony. The night before he was crucified, Jesus asked his heavenly father if there was any way this cup could pass from him. But there was not. He had to go through it, and he endured it because of the joy that was ahead, the joy that all of us can spend eternity with him forever in his heavenly home. You know, it's one of the funny things that as I've gone through life, it's become very clear to me that um, as a parent, how much joy there comes when you can do things for your kids. I watched my parents do this for me, make sacrifice after sacrifice and they seemed to take some joy out of that, and I never understood it when I was a teenager because it was all about me. But now that I'm in the parental role, I'm understanding my mom and my dad a lot better. In fact, I asked my mom not that long ago. She's in her 80s. What makes you truly happy? She said, oh, just seeing you, all of my kids and my grandchildren and even my great-grandchildren succeed. That's what she desires. And as we age and mature, God shows us these things, and Paul wanted the Philippian people to understand this. That brings us to point B in your outline, because we understand it completely. If we under, then we understand Jesus much better, because Jesus came to serve, not to be served. I mean, the trick to good parenting is to raise your children and look for ways to encourage them and help them develop into the people you want them to be. And that's going to involve a lot of times a lot of sacrifice. But it brings great joy when you see those results taking root. One time Jesus was explaining this to his disciples. They had been arguing as they traveled along who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They were fishermen, tax collectors, ordinary people. But Jesus had explained to them that he was setting up his kingdom and it would be eternal. And all of a sudden they got it in their heads that you know, it would be kind of fun to see who would be vice president and secretary of state uh, in heaven. And Jesus sat them down and said this, Now you know that the rulers in this world, they lord it over their people, and the officials flaunt their authority over those under them, but among you it'll be different. 
Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. As you travel along the Christian life, you find this true more and more and more. In our world, everybody tells you, hey, you've got to get the right food. You've got to go on the right vacations. You've got to have the right experiences. And then you enjoy life. Get people waiting on you. The key is to get the corner office. The key is to get the big position. And then you'll be truly happy. And yet we can find person after person after person who climbed the ladder of success and would tell you, yeah, I climbed that ladder. I found out it was leaning against the wrong wall. Yeah, I'm at the top of my game. So guess what? Now I've got to constantly look around me to see who's trying to knock me off just the same way I knocked off the guy before I got there. Yeah, I've got all this stuff now. And now I have to insure it and clean it and lock it and store it. Yeah, I've got all these people waiting on me. And now they're all waiting on a decision for what I decide next. And then we go on a mission trip like you heard earlier. And you meet people have almost nothing compared to us. And they're giving and they're kind and they seem to be amazingly carefree and happy and filled with joy. There's a life application in this for you and me. We must have the same attitude toward serving others that Jesus had. We must. I can put my name in there. John must have the same attitude toward serving others that Jesus had. Where do you get that idea? From Philippians 2.5. We read it a minute ago. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. I know that's a stretch, but that's what it says. Jesus didn't hang on to title. Wasn't demanding that other people served him. Jesus came to serve us. And if you and I will adopt that position and look for opportunities to serve instead of constantly looking for opportunities to consume and be waited on, we'll find that life is filled with all sorts of unexpected joys. Now, here's another wonderful truth buried in this chapter that Paul brings out. It's point three in your outline. That God promises to give us the desire and the power to serve others. To really live like Jesus. I'll tell you why this is such an important passage to me. I cite this passage often when people come to me and they've been convinced that they've been going the wrong way in their lives. There's sin in their life. There's rebellion in their life. There are problems in their lives. And they go, I got to get right with God. But one thing that really concerns me is this, John, I'm scared about making a commitment to Jesus because I don't know if I can follow through. I mean, I desire this today, but how do I know I'll desire it tomorrow? And I can make a commitment today, but I really stink at commitment. I'm not good at following through. Well, if that thought has ever crossed your mind, listen to the following paragraph. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Here's the sweetest deal about coming to Jesus. You come to Jesus and confess you're a sinner. He, knows you were, he knew you were a sinner before you came in the door. You give your life to him, and when I gave my life to him, he took my raggedy old, tired, selfish, sorry soul, and he cleansed it of all sin. And then he placed his Holy Spirit in my heart, and his Holy Spirit has been working on me and convincing me of what's wrong and convicting me of what's right and what's true in my life and changing my desires so that now I desire to please him, and then he gives me the power to do it. I mean, this is the coolest deal ever. 
If you come to Christ and confess your sins, he'll forgive you. Well, yeah, but then what's to make sure I stay on the right track? Well, surrender everything to him. He'll place his Holy Spirit inside of you. And then all you have to do is listen to him. And when he convinces you from the word or from other Christian friends, and you are certain this is where God is leading you, just obey. And little by little, every day, he'll change you. And so, so years later, people look at you and go, you're like a whole different person. It's like you're born again. Imagine that. And that's what God wants to do inside of you and me. If you flip your outline over, there's a life application for you and me. That's why we must ask God to bring our desires in line with him. Look, when you come to Christ, your desires are always about yourself. When you come to Jesus, you got to bring the desires in line. Well, how do I do that? Well, ask him to help you. Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of life everlasting. If we delight ourselves in him, he'll change our desires and bring out the desires that he really wants for us to have. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Seek him. And when he tells you to do something, do it. That's the note in your outline. Desire often follows obedience. We kind of tend to wait to obey to see if we feel like it. Bad decision. And we know from a lot of experiences how desire follows obedience. We had a neighbor pass away in our neighborhood, or we have a coworker that takes a promotion at another department in the company, or some other relationship where there's change. And we really like the person who was there before, and now somebody new moves into the house, or somebody new moves into the position. And we can make our minds go, I'm not going to like them. I don't care who they are. I've made up my mind. I'm just not going to like them. Well, that's a really foolish thing to do. Or we could take a different approach and go, you know, even though I don't know this person, I'm going to treat them the way I know I should be treating them, even if the feelings aren't there. Because that's the way I'd want people to treat me if I was moving in. So out of obedience, I'm going to do what's right and see what happens. And you know what's funny? The new guy moves in, you start treating him with respect. The new student moves into the classroom, you start acting like you treated the guy who moved off to another city. And within a few weeks or a few months, all of a sudden, you begin liking them. Hey, isn't this quite something? Well, that happens all the time if we're willing to just take things one step at a time and we're willing to obey what God has told us to do. Our desires will be brought in line. And many times it starts with us just being obedient, doing the things we know we need to do. There's a life application then for you and me that the Holy Spirit will empower us to serve others as we should. If we ask God to search our motives and we put our lives dependent on him, then we can trust that the Holy Spirit will change us. We don't have to make this happen ourselves. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. When you ask Jesus to come into your heart, God really takes up residence there. His Holy Spirit is placed inside of you, changing you from the inside out. And the manifestation of the Spirit means that he'll change our desires, and all of a sudden now he'll give us the desire and the power to do things we were never able to do before. Romans 12, Paul talks about this a little more. He calls it spiritual gifts, that the Holy Spirit gives us a gift, something we hadn't expected, maybe not even anticipated. If your gift is serving others, then serve them well. If you're a teacher, then teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, then be encouraging. 
If it's giving, give generously. If God's given you leadership ability, we'll take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, then do it gladly. It's fun for me to hear stories all the time about people who've come to Christ. And they'll email me or they'll call me and go, hey, you know, since I've been coming to church and reading my Bible, something strange has happened. I mean, I don't even know why I'm doing this, but I think I'm supposed to lead one of those connect groups. I've never led anything like that in my life, but I really feel like God wants me to do that. Is that okay? Sure. The Holy Spirit is stirring up a desire to lead. He's manifesting himself in your life. A realtor friend of mine talked to me a while back, said, John, since I gave my life to the Lord and I'm getting in touch with him, it's like the strangest thing. I show houses to people and invariably it happens almost every time now. People I don't even know, I've never talked to them before. I'm showing the house and other things. On the way uh, through the house or walking out to the car after the showing is over, they'll say, hey, can I ask you a question? I don't even know why I'm asking this, but I'm going through some issues in my life and I just feel like you're somebody I can talk to about this. And they'll explain some problem and I'll even have the right answers to tell them. Isn't that weird? I go, no, that's the Holy Spirit manifesting wisdom in your life. Each one of us, God is going to manifest himself in our lives in some wonderful way. One way in me, another way in you. And you put it all together in the life of a church, well, it's amazing how much we can accomplish together. So God will give us these desires. And don't be surprised if you've been a part of this church and you've been coming for a while and all of a sudden desires to lead or desires to give or desires to serve, they well up in you and go, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I really think I need to do this. I've never even thought about that before. That's because God's working in you and it's just kind of bubbling up. If you have questions and want to talk about it, we would love to talk with you about that and pray with you about that. But that's a wonderful thing. And when Paul wrote the Philippians, he was reminding them that God's going to give you those desires and he'll give you the power to get it done. He'll gift you. He'll strengthen you. Just obey and don't be afraid. This is Christians of all ages, by the way. Teenagers, 20-something, 30-something, 80-something. God will work in and through each one of us if we surrender to him. Now, point four in your outline brings up one final dimension of this I want to talk about, about serving like Jesus and experiencing joy. People who serve others like Jesus, they stand out. They do. To find people who are unhappy customers, unhappy campers, you don't have to look very far. I mean, the Christmas rush is soon going to be upon us. It won't be long before you find people complaining everywhere you go during the season of joy. (laughs) Philippians, but it was that way in Philippi too. This is part of the human condition. He told the Philippian people, Paul said, look, do everything without complaining or arguing so you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. You want to shine like a star? Then do things in your life. Look for opportunities to serve others without complaining or arguing. I mean, you will probably shine out more than you could possibly imagine. It's easy to find people who are unhappy. It's rare to find people who genuinely want to serve and do so without looking for anything in return. You'll shine out at work, 
in your school, at home, you'll shine out. Paul cited two examples in Philippi. The first was a guy named Timothy. Timothy was a young man who'd signed on with Paul and his missionary companion Silas when they were traveling through Turkey and then sailed with them as they headed up to northern Greece and arrived in Philippi. So the people of Philippi would have known him. Paul wrote about him in his letter to them. He said, if the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you for a visit. Paul's sidekick or one of Paul's sidekicks. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. If you could circle that. What made Timothy stand out? He genuinely cared about others. All the others care only for themselves and not for, the matters to, not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. He's like a son with his father and he served with me in preaching the good news. Timothy stood out because he genuinely cared. It's probably one of the reasons why Timothy is such a popular name. There's another guy that stood out. His name's Epaphroditus. Not a popular name, okay? (laughs) Know a lot of Timothys. Don't know any Epaphroditus's. Maybe you do. Be okay if you knew somebody named Epaphroditus. He was somebody who got the whole idea about serving like Jesus down pat. Paul wrote about him. Paul said to the people in Philippi, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He's a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. He was your messenger to help me in my need. Apparently, the Philippian people had sent Paul some supplies or some money while he was in jail, and Epaphroditus took care of his needs. They were looking after him, sent Epaphroditus to be their agent, their caseworker, to help Paul. But sometime while he was there, he got ill. I'm sending him because he has been he has been longing to see you. He was very distressed. You heard he was ill. In fact, he got so ill he almost died. He risked his life for the work of Christ. He was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. Epaphroditus served without complaining or arguing, though it almost cost him his life. Timothy served without complaining or arguing because he genuinely cared about others, just like Jesus. And the life application for you and me is God wants us to stand out by the way we love each other and serve together. Again, I could put my name in there. God wants John to stand out by the way he loves and serves others. Or you could put Centerpoint in there. He wants all of us at Centerpoint to stand out by the way we love and serve each other. After Jesus had washed his disciples' feet, he said, By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Ephesians 4.16, Paul also wrote, God makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So he calls us to serve together and work together. And as the Holy Spirit stirs up desires and gives us the power to do things, then he'll lead me to do one part and you to do something else. Because God wants us to work and serve together. Tom Hall is one of the folks who's been involved here in serving and volunteering at Centerpoint. I've asked him to come forward for just a minute to talk about some of those things with you, where he's been involved. And so, Tom, good morning. Good morning. Oh, you got to talk in there. Good morning. There we go. Okay. Um, Tom, where do you serve here? Where have you volunteered? Uh, I'm an usher, and I volunteered in three- and four-year-olds Kids Central. I help with the youth on Wednesday nights, and I'm a connect group leader. Wow, so you've jumped in in a couple of spots. Why'd you do it? Well, John, I saw a need, and I, I was asked to volunteer. And uh, believe it or not, I just, just found so much joy in, in serving others. It was unbelievable. Um, God showed me a lot. Showed me that um, it's not about me. 
It's about him and serving other people. Yeah, and when, and when we talked about that earlier, you said that that concept had really started a change in your life. Is that true? That's very, very true. Um, I read my Bible more. I pray more. And it strengthened my marriage. Really? And so how has this serving others impacted your life at home? Well, I, I used to be very selfish and uh, self-centered. And I did a lot of things just to make myself happy. Hmm. And now I care more about my wife and what I can do for her and for our marriage. And um, we serve together in the three- and four-year-olds, and we're partners in the Connect Group. So um, what would you say to somebody out here, though, who says, you know, I've never volunteered or served anywhere in any kind of ministry capacity. I don't know if I could do it. What would you say to them? I would just encourage you to just jump in there and get involved. Um, If you want to build your relationship with God and with others, um, get involved and, and join in and try to serve somewhere. Because it'll change your life. It absolutely will. It's changed my life. Well, Tom, we thank you for coming up here. Appreciate your time. Can we give him a round of applause? <laughs>